This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So during this time of the year, uh, it's it's a time of very obvious uh, mourning, and we mourn for the loss of the base Amikdash, but at the same point in time, we also mourn for the millions and millions of Jews that unfortunately uh, were brutally murdered throughout during the time period of the destruction of the base of English and throughout the generations. The story of the ten martyrs, the Asarai Ruge Malchus, this story begins at the end of the second Beis HaMikdash, at the end of the second temple. Uh, during this time period, prophecy began to, you know, move away from, uh, you know, from the prophets. The, the sort of the, the feeling of the presence of, of God began to wane. And while there was Ruach HaKodesh, this, uh, um, uh, this, this phenomenon of, of divine, prov- the divine, like, Intuition of knowing things also like that are not visible to the to the eye or knowing things a little bit in the future was still around. An example that is actually related to our discussion is from a uh, something from from Shmuel Hakatan. So Shmuel Hakatan he got his name because he was almost as pious and almost as prophetic as Shmuel Hanavi, Shmuel the prophet. Uh, and that's why it compares him to Shmuel the prophet, and he was a cut, and he was small in that comparison. He lived during the time of Rabbi Gamliel Hazakin, and this is still while the base Amigdash, while the temple stood. Uh, the... In the time of the temple, the place of Sanhedrin of the uh, of the courts, the gathering was in Jerusalem in Yerushalayim. But there was also something called Yavne. Yavne was a coastal town that was near Ashdod, and this was a gathering place for the great uh, sages. And if anybody knows history, we know the the Karen of Yavne, the sages of Yavne were saved uh, after the destruction of the base of Medesh. Yavne comes up quite a lot. So this was a a small town near Ashdod. There was at one particular meeting that took place at Yavne that Shmuel HaKatan, he prophesied that there was going to be upcoming murders of 10 martyrs by the hands of the Romans. And what's even more significant was he had a prediction of the decrees that Hadrian, the Roman emperor, would forbid in uh, teaching Torah and and other issues against uh, the, the Jewish nation. And the this, the, the Ten martyrs that started with the the murderer the the murdered Tanaic uh, uh, sages started off with Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol and Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel. The it started with that and ended with Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Hanan Ben Tarjan. We, we're not going to be able to go to the end, but we'll start off with at least the um, you know the first Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel and the Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol the. When they heard this prophecy from uh, Shmuel Akatan, they decided they wanted a journey out and to let the people know. The Roman occupiers in the land of Israel during that time, they heard this, they saw this, and they saw this as an act of treason. So the these two rabbis were arrested at the end of the German at the end of their journey, and then they were eventually killed by uh, by the Romans. So 
Just to give a little bit of an overview before we – this is just like an introduction and we're going to give an overview and then we'll begin with the story. The uh, A bulk of the information that we're going to be discussing tonight comes from a medrash called Ela Eskara. Ela Eskara, uh, literally the translation means for these I will remember. This is a medrash that describes the – the murder of the ten martyrs in the hands of the Romans. The Medrash does look for some purpose, reason for the suffering of the people, especially these these ten righteous people, ten Gedali Adar, ten leaders of the generation. And in there, it does find three sins that the rabbis were deemed responsible and hence the cause of their death. So the first one was that there were those amongst the Jewish people that unfortunately, after the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, the temple, they did not mourn the destruction. Because they said, what did we really lose? We still have wise scholars, we still have these great rabbis, that they could guide the world with, the, you know, through God's Torah and mitzvot. So the reason, number one, it was, it was not proper mourning that was done for the destruction of the Beis Amigdash. Number two, the rabbis themselves were held accountable because they taught Torah to the Caesar. And we'll soon see the, the you know how that played out. And the third reason was something that's very Kabbalistic that I would like to get to. I don't know if we'll get to it in this class, uh, but once we continue the series, we'll be able to get a little bit more in detail in it. But the rabbis uh, um, were a reincarnation of the ten tribes that were involved, the Asar Shvat and the ten tribes that were involved in the sin of selling Yo- of selling Yosef. So each one, and we'll, we'll break it down once we get up to it, but each one came back as a reincarnation, and each one is tied to a certain shevet, a certain tribe, and they're coming as a uh, as a kapara, as an atonement for the sin of selling Yosef. Now, the leaders of the Jewish nation, as is not only during the time of the destruction of the base of Mikdash, but in general, are held responsible for that generation, and they're held responsible for the sins of that generation, and they should have shown the loss of the base of Mikdash again to their level. And I'm only repeating the information that I learned. This is now on the to say that oh, it was their fault. They were huge, huge, huge that they were in reincarnation of the Sarashvatim. But to understand that on their level. They should have uh, shown the people the loss of the of the Beis Hamikdash. Now, even though Judaism, you know, has adapted, has survived, uh, even you know, almost two two thousand years through the loss of the since the loss of the Beis Hamikdash, the rabbi himself. The irony was was because the rabbis were so great the more difficult it was for the common people to mourn the destruction. Because they said, look at how much of great rabbis we had, right? Because the base of Migdash was a connection between the Jewish people and God. It was, a, it was a place where the heaven and earth connected. But the the Jewish people said, like, but we have these great scholars that we can connect us also to anything godly, anything that we need. So the irony was is that because they were so great, the people thought, Okay, what's the big deal that we lost the base of English? But that in itself was the reason why God had to remove the um, the great rabbis uh, due to their greatness and what people thought that they didn't lose anything by the base of English. There's a lot to speak about this, and maybe we'll speak about it at a future time. But going back to our story, the... Um, God went and put in the mind of the Caesar to study Torah. And they, he went over to the sages and he said, teach me, teach me the Torah. And they began teaching him. They taught him from Boratius and they went all the way to Parshas Mishpatim. And the, the Medrash tells us that if they didn't tell, if they didn't teach us, teach the Caesar the story of Yosef and his brothers, the Caesar would have never thought of killing them because he heard this story 
And that put into his mind, wait a minute, you know, they were never punished. So he took it on his responsibility as like sort of God's messenger that he's going to take it into his own hands and he's going to go and punish the Jewish people for that. And the Romans had this tradition for many decades that a rabbi has to be killed and to atone for the sin of Yosef and his, uh, and his brothers. Now, this is a little bit difficult to understand because the, we know that parents don't get punished on their children's sin and children don't get punished on the parents and you know like the, everybody's responsible for their own um for their own sin so the meshachachma explains this and says that every generation pays a small part from the punishment from the sin of the golden calf and the meshachachma goes and cites another medrash a medrash in mishle that it, besides Every generation has a small part in the punishment of the sin of the golden calf. They also, every generation has the, is, is, is responsible and, and takes part of the sin of the selling of Yosef. So these two sins, the golden calf and the selling of Yosef, explains the Meshachachma is the cause of all the suffering that still exists. And this, the, the entire Yom Kippur service in the Beis Amigdash was primarily, its purpose was to affect atonement for these two sins. These were two huge sins that we've been trying to affect atonement and, re, re, and erase it. Whenever, you know, a Jew sins between man and God, there's two types of, of interactions, either sins between you and God or between you and a, and a friend. So whenever, whenever a person sins between man and God, they're punished also for the sin of worshiping the golden calf. And whenever a Jew sins between a man and his fellow, they're also punished for the sin of selling Yosef because again, that trickles down to every generation. Now we know the first temple, the first base of Mikdash was destroyed because of three things. Avodazara, idolatry, immorality, Gilarias, and Shvichas Damen, which is murder. The second temple, the second base of Megdash, was destroyed for a single type of sin, and that is Sinas Chinam, which is baseless or causeless hatred. Now, explains the Meshachachma, so the appropriate time for God to also punish for the sins of Yosef and his brothers would be very appropriately in this, in the destruction of the second temple because that was a sin between man and his, uh, and his friend. And this was the sin also of Yosef between man and his friend, between him and his brothers. So now the continuation of that sin was also in effect from Yosef all the way to uh, in in the generation of the destruction of the second temple the Yosef and his brothers they fell to they failed their test in loving one another the rabbis in that generation to their level they failed to instill love for one another in the hearts of the people. We know that Rabbi Akiva famously taught, you have to love your friend, your neighbor as like yourself. The most, And this is the most important verse in the Torah, but his own students unfortunately failed to internalize this message. And we know that's, that the mourning stage between um, Pesach and Shavuos will remore the deaths of the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva that they, they, they lost this aspect. They lost the aspect of the honoring and respecting the, you know, the friend. The Arizal goes, and this is something that, you know, we'll, we'll discuss when we get to it. This is also, it's written down in Sefer Echalas, that there was a connection between each, besides the fact that this was also part of the sin, but there was a connection in the reincarnation, in the Gilgulim, between each Shevet, each tribe that was involved in the sale of Yosef, to each of the ten uh, martyrs. Uh, you know, Reuven, uh, Binyamin, and Yosef, there is different uh, reasoning behind that, just to give you a little bit, because 
Ruben wasn't involved in, you know, in the sin. He was, uh, you know, he wasn't uh, around, but he did get some sort of punishment. We'll speak about that in when we get to that. Binyamin was not part of the sale, so that takes away, you know, that takes away one. Ruben takes away the other one, so that's why you left 10 out of the 12 tribes who are responsible for it. Yosef was held responsible for the sin of, of the sale because he himself was part of the cause that his brothers went and, uh, you know, and sold him. But to each and that, we'll speak and get more clarity once we, uh, once we, we, we speak about each particular tribe. The Medrash, um, Ela Eskra is also the basis of the, what we, we pray in Musaf on Yom Kippur. And, uh, Tisha B'Av, there is a kinna called Arze Halavanan, which also speaks about, uh, the, the loss of the, the ten martyrs of the, uh, you know, during the time of the second base of Mikdash. So, when we look at the number 10, the number 10 is not just, you know, out of the blue number 10. Number 10 is, is a, a number of a totality. It represents a completion. Uh, and this is like sort of a, it encompasses all the details. There is, uh, for example, there is 10 utterance of creation. The world was created with ten, 10 sayings, 10 times like Kaddish Baruch Hu, God said Vayomer and the world was created. There's 10 spheros, which is more on the Kabbalistic side of things. There was 10 martyrs, there were 10 commandments. 10 represents a, an all-encompassing uh, number. So when we're dealing with the ten martyrs, we're also it also represents all individuals that were persecuted and executed by the Romans. Now, the Roman Emperor Hadrian was a very brutal. Uh, emperor. He killed hundreds of thousands of Jews uh, during the Bar Kokhba re- re- revolt. He also went and after the war he continued uh, killing millions and millions uh, of Jews. Hadrian actually tried to root out Judaism and it's, he prohibited to learn Torah, uh, you know, the Hebrew calendar. He executed scholars. The Torah scroll was burned on Harabais on Temple Mount. So he did many things to try to erase Judaism from the map. The the problem is that going back to the reason of the destruction is the whole idea was that of the 10 martyrs was the people didn't really feel the loss of the base Amikdash. And right during that time is when HaKadosh Baruch Hu put in the mind of the Caesar to go and start learning. So when he reached the verse in Parshas Mishpatim, it says someone who kidnaps a man and sells him. He went and um, uh, he 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 ordered that his palace should immediately be filled up with shoes. Now, the reason that he filled it up with shoes is that the he was going to call ten scholars to his palace to you know start saying speaking about the story of Yosef and the punishment that he's going to you know dish out because of that. And he brought he filled his palace with shoes because that the he wanted the scholars that were coming, the rabbis that would come to recognize that Yosef was sold for a pair of shoes. The value of a pair of shoes. Now you could ask how could someone like Yosef be sold for a pair of shoes, twenty silver pieces? How is that possible? So the brothers, when they threw him in the pit, they removed his clothes and they threw him in the pit. Now the Torah tells us that the pit was empty. But when the pit was empty means that there was no water in it, but there was snakes and scorpions inside of this. So Yosef saw this. So he really, he's like, he's like, he grew in a very, very sad state. He's like, what am I going to be? How Out of the fear and terror, he lost all his beauty and his value. But even though there was there was uh, snakes and scorpions, God went and He closed the the you know the mouths of these creatures that they didn't harm Him. And when Yosef's brothers saw a caravan of the Yishmaelim of the Arabs that were coming, so they drew him out of the pit and they sold him. 
But during that time, God was saying, wait a minute, should a righteous person like Yosef stand unclothed in front of people? So during that time, he had this amulet that was hanging around his neck. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God sent the angel Gavriel. And he fashioned, an, from the amulet, he fashioned a garment and he clothed Yosef. Now, Yosef's brothers, they put him in the pit without clothing. And now he's coming out with clothing. So when they were selling him to the Ishmaelim, he says, wait a minute. He says, we didn't sell him with the clothing. Give us back his clothing. But the Ishmaelim replied, no, no, we're not going to return to you unless you give us another four pair of shoes. So he ended up going to the uh, to Egypt with this pair of clothing that the Malach Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, went and formed it from that amulet. And in this clothing, he was this was the same clothing that he was thrown in jail. This is the same clothing that was brought before Paro. This was the same clothing that he was what he wore when he was ruling over uh, over Egypt. Now, this is the background of what the, was, was going on when the Caesar asked to put shoes inside the palace. Now, he, the Caesar now calls ten sages to his palace, and he seated them in golden chairs. And he goes over to them and he says, I have a very deep and difficult question to ask you. And I want you to only answer me truthfully and strictly according to the correct interpretation of halacha of the law. And they agreed. And the Caesar proceeds to ask them, what is the law for someone who kidnaps his Jewish brother and cruelly sells him? So the sages answer, the law is that he should be put to death. So the Caesar responds to them, says, if that's the case, you're all deserving of death. They're like, what are you talking about? Why? So he responds for the sale of Yosef. If the brothers, the Caesar responded, were alive today, I would judge them. And I would dish out my punishment to them. But they're no longer alive. So you, they're your ancestors. So now you're going to bear the guilt of your ancestors. So the rabbis responded to the Caesar, do us a favor, give us three days. And this time we'll try to figure out some sort of legal defense to save ourselves. And if he cannot, we accept the Caesar's judgment. And he agreed to this. So the sages left and they turned to Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol. And they asked him, to, there's ways, Al through Kabbalistic ways, of even though there's, there's two worlds, right? There's this world and there's the next world, right? The heavenly, the heavenly world. There is ways through meditation and, and, and particular Kabbalistic, you know, meditations of God's name that you're able to sort of travel from this world to the next world and inquire and, and poke around to get some information. So when the sages left, they turned over to Rabbi Shmuel Kayin Gadol. And they said, do us a favor, mediate, do, go on this, meditate on this explicit name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, go up to Shemaim, go up to heaven, and find out if this decree was from God. So Rabbi Shmuel purified himself, he went to the mikvah, he wrapped himself up in his talis and tefillin, he said the explicit name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he went up to Shemaim, he went up to heaven. There, he encounters the angel Gavriel. And Gabriel goes over to him and he says, Are you Yishmael that God praises every day that I have a servant on earth whose face is similar to mine? Rabbi Shmuel says, Yes, I am. So Gabriel asked him, Why did you come up here? What are you doing here? So Rabbi Shmuel responded, The wicked king has decreed against us to destroy ten sages, ten rabbis of Klal Yisrael, of, of Israel. And I, I came up here to, to, to figure out if this was a decree that came from God. So Gabriel looked at him and responded. He says, if the decree was not sealed by God, would you be able to annul it? Like, what is it that you're coming up with? Can you even do anything about it? So Rabbi Shmuel answered, yes, I could annul it. So 
the angel Gabriel asks him, how, how are you able to do that? So Rabbi Shmuel says, with the name of God, I'm able to annul it. I'm able to get out of, I'm able to save ourselves. Basically what Rabbi Shmuel, kind God was telling him, he says, if I'm allowed to, if I'm able to, I'm able to go and save myself and my colleagues from getting killed. So Angel Gabriel responded, and he said, How fortunate are you, the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to whom God has revealed secrets that he doesn't even reveal to the angels. The angel Gabriel didn't even know about this. And this Rabbi Shmuel was was aware of. Now, Rabbi Shmuel was an extremely beautiful person. Uh, and, and in fact, the Medrash tells us that there was, out of the, he was the se- part of the seven most beautiful people that ever existed. The seven beautiful people are Adam Arishan, the first man ever created. Yaakov Avinu. Yosef is number three. Shal is number four. Number five is Avshalom. Number six is Rabbi Avo. And number seven is this Rabbi Shmuel that we're, we're talking about right now. Now, when they bought, brought Rabbi Shmuel to Rome, all the women saw him and they were affected by his physical beauty. They, when, when they, and when they brought him before the king, he asked them, he says, you know, the king asked him, are there other people in your nation as beautiful as you or more beautiful than you? And he responded that there are not. And then the, the, the king went, the Caesar went and decreed death upon him. But to get the understanding where and, um, you know, how his beauty came from, the, when Rabbi Yossi, which was his father, was, he was past, uh, you know, uh, the, the middle age of his life, and his wife asked him, he says, my master, my husband, why do I see that many people have children and we have don't have any children, not a son or a daughter. So Rabbi responded, the cause of our childlessness is that other wives are careful that when they leave the mikvah, if they come across something inappropriate, they go back and immerse in them, themselves in the mikvah again. That's why they were able to have children. And the, the Raman, Yeradar, writes that a woman should be very careful when they leave the mikvah that they, that a friend should meet them so that the first the first thing that they see, they don't meet a non-kosher animal. And if they do meet one of those first, a God-fearing woman should go and immerse, immerse herself again. But anyways, his wife told him that if this is what is preventing us from having children, then I make an oath. She, she promised that if I will be careful about this from now on. And the next time she went to the mikvah, she came out and she came across a dog. So she went back to the mikvah. And then she came out and she came across a pig. So she went back into the mikvah. And this happened, kept on happening over 80 times she went to the mikvah. Finally, God tells Angel Gabriel, none other than Angel Gabriel, says this righteous woman is suffering so much. Go and appear to her in the form of her husband and bring her to her house. This way that she see, the first thing that she sees is not going to be anything, uh, anything impure. So, the angel Gabriel set off in the form of Rabbi Yaisi, her husband. He sat by the door of the mikvah, and then he escorted her uh, escorted her home, and then he left. That night, she conceived and later gave birth to Rabbi Shmuel. This is why the angel Gabriel, when when he, Rabbi Shmuel went up to to heaven to Shemayim, who was the one to greet him was none other than the angel Gabriel that that came in before he was conceived. So. Now Gavriel, and this is also the region, it says that, that his form and face were similar to that of, of, uh, you know, of, Gavri- of the angel Gavriel. And that's one of the reasons he was very, very beautiful. The angel said to, um, angel Gavriel said to Yishmael, he says, Yishmael, my son, it says, by your life, this is what I heard behind the heavenly curtain, that ten sages of Israel will be given to the wicked kingdom to be killed. So Rabbi Shmuel asked, why? And he responded for the sale of Yosef and his brothers. And, and the angel continues, the Malach Gabriel continues, says, you know, the Midas Adin, 
the attribute of justice comes every day before Akadish Baruch before God, and accuses, says, you, you know, you didn't write even one extra letter in the Torah. But didn't the brother sell Yosef? And they didn't get punished for that yet. So, therefore, it has been decreed, the angel says, that ten sages of Israel will now be killed by the wicked kingdom. And Rabbi Shmuel asked him, says, you know, this is, has been like over 1,500 years ago. Could I, God not have found anyone until now? Why, why only until now? Why did he choose us? So, the angel Gabriel responded, from the time of the sale of Yosef until today, God has never found ten righteous people, holy people in a single generation who are worthy of the brothers. And therefore, God is giving the punishment to you. When Rabbi Shmuel heard this, he felt calmer. Rabbi Shmuel went and descended back to earth. And he told his colleagues that the decree has been made and it's already been signed and sealed. And he shared with them the encounter. They mourned and they rejoiced. They mourned because the decree has been made, but they rejoiced because God considered them to be righteous and holiness, or the level of righteous, uh, righteousness and holiness to that of Yosef and his brothers. And after they got this, you would think, what would they, what, what would they do after getting this, this news? They went and they continued learning. Even though they had some of them a few days left to live, they went and they sat and they studied the laws of Pesach. And they were, you know, learning about things that are forbidden in our Pesach, uh, what is considered chametz, what's not considered chametz. And before they finished learning, the king came with his sword drawn. And he says, what do you, you guys are learning now? How are your hearts free to learn Torah? Your ends are right near. Don't you know that there's a death sentence? So the Caesar came, um, and the, the, the first two, unfortunately, that were killed was Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel and Rabbi Shmuel. So who are these, um, uh, Rabbi Shmuel kind Gadol, who are these coming, uh, for which tribe? So Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel was a Nasi. He comes, uh, from a direct descendant from Shevet Yehuda. In fact, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel's son was Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Um, uh, so just to give you a little bit who, who authored the, the Mishnah. So, Rabbi Shem ben Gamliel was a direct descendant from the Shevet, uh, the tribe of Yehuda, and that's what he's coming to atone. And Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol was a, he was a Kohen, which means that he comes from a direct descendant from the tribe, from the Shevet of Levi. So here, the first two is the Shevet of Levi and the Shevet of Yehuda are coming to be, um, uh, you know, atoned during, you know, with this, unfortunately, um, you know, killing of these two rabbis. So, the Caesar comes over to both of them and he says to them, says, who should be killed first? So Rabbi ben Gamliel answered, he says, I am, you know, I'm the Nasi, I'm the prince and the son of a prince, a descendant of King David, king of Israel. I should be killed first. And Rabbi Shmuel responded, but I'm the Kohen Gadol. I'm the son of a Kohen Gadol. I'm a descendant of Aaron Cohen. I should be killed first, so I don't have to witness the death of my friend. So the Caesar responds, says, this one wants to be killed first, and this one wants to be killed first. What we're going to do is we're going to draw the lots, and we're going to see which one should be killed first. And they drew lots, and the lot fell out on Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel that he would be killed first. So the Caesar commanded that he be beheaded first, and he was. And now Rabbi Shmuel Kohen Gadol took his head, that was when he was beheaded, and he put on his lap, and he began to cry bitterly, and he said, "This is, you know, this is a Torah. This is, and this is its reward. This is a tongue that used to explain the Torah in seventy languages, and now it's licking the dust." And he continued to mourn and cry for Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. The Caesar responded, asked him, says, what's this all about? Why are you crying of him so much? You should cry about yourself. You're going to be heading there, you know, there very shortly. So Rabbi Shmuel answers, says, I'm not crying for myself because my friend was greater than me in Torah and wisdom. I'm crying because he preceded me in the heavenly yeshiva.
And while he was speaking and mourning and crying, the Caesar's daughter peeked out the window and she took a look at Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol and his beauty and her mercy was aroused and she sent a message to her father. And she asked him, he says, I have a single request from you, my dear father. And, well, I don't know if she said my dear father. She said, I have a single request from you. And the Caesar replied with a message that she could have anything except for Rabbi Shmuel and his friends. So she sent a message back. She said, spare the life of Rabbi Shmuel. So the Caesar responded, he has already taken an oath to kill him. And it's not going to happen. I'm not going to save him. So she replied back, if so, then peel his skin off his face so I could look at it instead of looking in a mirror. He was so beautiful that she wanted to to always see his his face. So immediately the Caesar commanded that they start peeling off the skin from his face. When they reached the place of his tefillin, Rabbi Shmuel cried out a loud and bitter cry, and it shook the heavens and the earth. And then he cried a second time, and it shook the, the Kisei Akav, the heavenly throne. And the angel said to God, it says, so a righteous person like this, where you have shown all the secrets in the upper worlds, the lower worlds, you should be killed in such a manner. And they said, the angel said, this is, the re- this is Torah, and this is the reward. And God responded in a very, very interesting response. First of all, God said, leave him, it's a mer- he's going to have a merit that is going to extend for many generations, which is something that we can understand. But then God says that if I hear any more cries, I'm going to t- return the whole universe into emptiness, meaning I'm going rever- to destroy the entire world. And now this is something we have to try to understand. Rabbi Shlomo Kluger asks a question on this medrash. He says, wait a minute, if a child is in a classroom, and a child is asking an excellent question, and the teacher tells him, be silent or he's going to be punished, doesn't the child have a right to ask this question? So why is it, if you see a righteous person, a tzaddik, that's suffering, why does Hashem respond that we don't have a right to ask? So Rabbi Kluger answers with a mushal with a parable. There was once a master tailor who was known far and wide for his ability to uh, create beautiful articles of clothing. And the king called him over to his kingdom, and he says, I hear of your talent, you know, spreads out throughout the four corners of the earth. He says, I need to make a very magnificent coat. And I've gathered the most expensive materials known to man on planet earth, and I want you to make me the most exquisite, expensive, most beautiful coat ever made. And the tailor said, okay, fine, I'll do my best. And the king gives him this very, very expensive material, and he spends weeks and weeks sewing and hemming and measuring and alterations and all these things. After a few weeks, he goes over to the palace, and he presents this magnificent coat to the to the king. And the king looks at it. He's never seen something so beautiful before. It fits so perfectly, and the material is so luxurious. It looks aesthetically pleasing. He says... He checked off all the boxes, and word got out of this amazing tailor and what he created for this king. And, uh, you know, when word comes out of a success of one person, people can get jealous. And people started getting jealous of this, uh, you know, of this, of this tailor. So what happens when jealousy starts, you know, being aroused? The people start, uh, making up a little bit of stories. And the tailor community starts saying, oh, you know what? You know, he did a good job. Yeah, but he probably skimmed a little bit. This is really expensive material. So the king gave him like six rolls. What did he do with the rest of it? And word got out that this tailor is a crooked tailor and he jipped off the king and he started taking uh you know material from the king now when the king heard this 
the king started believing it. He says, wait a minute, maybe it's true. You know how things go. If someone starts talking, you know, you, people, it's, it's, this is Lashon Hara. Uh, you know, people can start believing it to some level. So the king calls him to his palace and said, is it true? He says, the people are saying that you've stolen from me, that you've taken, uh, you know, from my material. So uh, this tailor goes over to the queen. Can, can I see the coat, please? And the king says, sure. He hands in the coat and he starts taking out his scissors and he starts cutting up this coat. And the king is looking at him and he says, what are you doing? You're destroying my coat. And, you know, he's like sort of like silencing, you know, in a, in a very respectful way, the king. And he's cutting and cutting. The king is looking at the most beautiful coat and he lays out all the pieces of the coat and he shows the king. He says, I want you to measure all the material. You will see here that not an inch is missing. Everything that I've taken is exactly in here. You thought that I stole from you because you saw things in layers. You didn't see the under the cuff. You didn't see on the labels. On the la- There's so many different aspects of it. Now that I laid everything in front of you, I could prove my innocence and show you uh, the authenticity that everything in, that you have given me is all in this coat. Explains Rav Shlomo Kluger. The response of HaKadosh Baruch Hu was not that he was dismissing the question. It wasn't that the question came and he says, you know what, I'm not answering it right now. And if you ask me again, I'm going to destroy the whole world. That in itself was the answer. It wasn't a, dis- it wasn't a dismiss- dismissing the question. It was the actual answer. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu was saying, he says, you want to know why things are happening the way that they're happening? You want to know why they're going through so much suffering? I have to go through the beginning of time. I have to take the world, take it apart, and start again from the beginning. And then I could show you the reason why this person is suffering because of this thing that happened maybe who knows how many millennia ago. And this person is going through because of this. Everybody is going through something and there's a reason for it. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was responding to the angels. He was responding to them. He says, if you keep on asking, if you ask me one more time, I'm going to return the world to, to emptiness. That was the answer. Then you're going to be able to see it. How many times that we go through suffering and we ask God, why? Why are you causing me this suffering? That's the question we shouldn't be asking. Because we don't want to, this Baruch says, oh, you want me to show you the answer? I could take you up into this world and show you all the answer. We don't want to hear that. And this is a lesson that we can learn that if God forbid something happened, there's a reason for it. Yes, we're supposed to learn it. Yes, we're supposed to look into it. But we don't don't say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why did you do this to me? Or the famous words that a person should never say that this is not fair, unfortunately. So when Rabbi Shmuel heard this from, you know, the angel, he heard, the, he heard this, he remained, he remained uh, quiet. And the Caesar asked him, you know, why is it that you are not qu- crying until you reach the place of your tefillin? They asked Rabbi Shmuel. And he replied, I'm not crying for my soul, but I'm crying because of the mitzvah of tefillin that you're taking away from me. Up to now, I was being able to put on tefillin, but now you're ripping off the skin. Even though he was going to die, there was no way that he was going to be able to put on tefillin anymore. But still, he didn't have the ability to do it anymore. And for that, he was crying. So the Caesar responded to him, do you still have faith in your God? And Rabbi Shmolka and Gadol responded, even if you kill me, I will not lose my faith. Immediately, the soul of Rabbi Shmuel departed and left his body. And there's, it's interesting because the brothers, they removed Yosef's coat. They removed him of his clothing. Rabbi Shmuel now was removed from his skin as an atonement for that. 
there is uh, um, an interesting, uh, you know, aspect to Rabbi Shmuel's also children. His his son and his daughter were, were also very very beautiful. They were taken into captivity. They were sold as servants by different Roman masters, and each of their masters were once met each other, and they said they they boasted about the beauty of their of their servants. So they decided to have the servant and the maid servant go and marry each other, and their children will be divided between the two masters because each one was claiming that he had a beautiful servant, and each one and the other one said, I have a beautiful maidservant. They said, perfect. We have a perfect idea. Let's put them together. They'll have beautiful children and we'll split it up and this way we'll increase our uh, our revenue. So they place the servants and the, and the and the maidservant, which is the son and daughter of Rabbi Shmuel, kind Gadol, but they didn't know it because it was dark. And the servant, one, the servant sat in one corner and he said to himself, "I am a coin, the son of a coin, the you know the 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 coin Gadol." He says, "I should marry a maidservant." And the maidservant sat in the other corner and said to herself, I am also a Kohen, the daughter of a Kohen. He says, I should, I should go marry a servant. So they each sat in their respective corners and they cried the whole night. When the morning came, they recognized each other and they fell on the, on each other and they cried until their souls left them. Which shows you the continuation of how the, you know, the level of, of his children were, were on. But this begins to show you the, reasoning and underlining a little bit of understanding of the, Ten martyrs, the ten, the Sarai Malchus that we mourn on, and we don't mourn on only on them. We also mourn on all the souls that we lost um, during the time of the destruction of the of the Beis Hamikdash. May the Beis Hamikdash be rebuilt speedily in our days, and may we be able through Tchias Hamesim to rejoice together with the Sarai Malchus and the all the rest of Klal Yisrael that were lost throughout the years. My name is Rabbi Pinchas Landis, and I want to welcome you to Jewish Anytime. We have assembled hundreds of thousands of Jewish lectures on every topic under the sun for you to explore, for you to enjoy, for you to be inspired by. So go ahead, take a look around the site. We hope that you find what you're looking for, and feel free to reach out to us with any questions that you might have, any content that you would like to see us have on our site, or if you would like to follow up with some more Jewish learning. We're here to help you out, and we hope that you have an amazing time here on JewishAnytime.com. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.